Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends, and as you've all heard, we are in our 20th year as an organization, and for those of you who live in the Portland metro area, and you're listening today, perhaps, our open house is tomorrow night from 3 to 7, and Olive Garden is a wonderful partner with us. They've been sponsoring the food. They send staff, they send food, they don't charge us a dime for any of it, and they do a wonderful job. So big shout out to Olive Garden. But if you're in the in the Portland metro area and you happen to be listening to this show um, before Thursday, November 7th, um, come to our open house on November 7th, and you can call the office 503-598-8048 to RSVP. So um, before I get going any further, I do want to talk a little bit before I introduce our guest about bucket lists. Now, I know we've all heard the term bucket list. They even made a movie called Bucket List. It was a great movie. Um, But I wanted to share a little bit about that with you because I think having a bucket list is, is really important. And, you know, I, I call I didn't call it my bucket list when I first created it because I didn't know that term yet. So I called it my list of things to do before I die. And I actually created that list about three months into my cancer journey. And, you know, the thing that's significant about having a list like that is it really gets you to start thinking about, you know, what's important? What are, what are some of those things you always wanted to do someday? And what I noticed on when I created my list, it, it really wasn't about having a lot of money. It wasn't about, you know, accumulating things. The only exception to that is I really wanted to, my whole life, have a cabin on a lake one day. And finally, in 2010, we got our cabin on a lake. It took a long time. But it's, it's something that just having your goals and your dreams kind of written down like that is so powerful because then when opportunities come forward and you can start to, you know, you see something and you go, that's on my bucket list. It makes the decision, first off, a little easier. Um, But it it does give you something to look forward to, I guess, to say it that way. And the key thing about a bucket list is when you take one thing off, if you accomplish one of the things on your list, check it off, but add something else to your list because I don't know about you, but that's a list I don't ever want to see come to an end. <laughs> you know, I always want there to be something that I'm working toward. And one of the things I found out on top of writing it down, and it's probably the, the one thing that makes this a magical event in my life, the, you know, the creation of this bucket list, is once you've written it down, tell somebody that you trust that this is what you have on your heart and on your mind and, and it's really amazing what will happen when people that, that know you, love you, <clears throat> excuse me, care about you, um, when they find out what's on your list. I remember one of the things that was on my list, this was a long time ago, this was in 1996 when I wrote my list, and I'd always wanted to go to a, a bed and breakfast in Vermont with my husband. 
The problem was I never told him. And it was on my list. And one day he actually, I showed him my list. I had had it for a long time. I'd been working toward it. But I <clears throat> I decided it was probably time to show him the list. And when he saw go to Vermont and a bed and breakfast with him, he immediately, he went right over to the computer, started looking up flight information and bed and breakfasts in Vermont. And before the evening was over, we had a trip planned. And it was it was amazing how quickly he made that happen. And he's somebody that, that he really likes to help people accomplish their dreams and their visions. Another thing that was on my list was I wanted to speak at my graduation. And I wrote that down, that I wanted to speak at that. Well, you know, he <laughs> he's pretty amazing. He contacted the... The uh, local Oregonian, after I got invited to speak, he contacted the local Oregonian, uh, which is the newspaper here in Portland, and told the woman, one of the reporters about it, and that I had been invited after it had appeared on my bucket list. And she wrote this beautiful story about it that then later got picked up by Woman's World magazine. And and you just just don't know what's going to happen when you do something like that. Well, my newest thing that I've added on there is my goal to speak in in all 50 states before I die. Now, I don't mean this to sound gloom and doom because that's what I've always called my list was things to do before I die. But um, I've spoken in 32 states and I have 18 more to go. And he, he really got on that with me and he started putting out feelers to everybody he knows in these states that are that I've yet to speak in. And I'm starting to get inquiries and we've got he's connected to the Salvation Army and one of the fellows from the Salvation Army is really gung-ho to get me somewhere in Wisconsin excuse me not Wisconsin that's another one I'm working on Montana and Wyoming he's got connections there so he's trying to get me there and that's a really sweet friend named Gary and we love Gary and I just I just think it's phenomenal what happens when you tell people what you want to do and how many people will come forward and try to assist in, in that. So I wanted to share that. You know, no matter what you're going through in your life right now, sit down and think about what are some of the things that you've always wanted to do and just haven't done yet and write them down. And, you know, it's not an easy list. In fact, when I first started my list, I couldn't think of anything. So I wrote the things that I had always wanted to do, had already done, so I could check them off really quickly, like learn to drive a stick shift car. (laughs) So I learned how to do that, you know, sometime before, but it was still fairly new. And um, so I started with a list of things I'd already done that had always been on my list and started checking those off. And then I started adding to it. And um, it's it's amazing what happens. And it can help you really um, get focused, stay positive. And, and that leads right into what we're going to talk about today. Um, on October 23rd of this year, we had a guest, Dr. Linda Denke. And we actually ran out of time. I, I wasn't sure that that would happen. It doesn't happen too often. But I invited her back to finish the discussion on sadness and when it becomes depression. And so Dr. Denke was very gracious in saying, yes, I'd be happy to come back on. So we have her on today. Now, just as a reminder, she has spent four decades in nursing and mental health is her passion. And I love her mantra. It's mental health directly affects physical health. And so she is all about helping people be better mind, body, and soul. And so please welcome back, Dr. Denke. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, and I hope uh, we can answer um, more questions about this very important topic, Becky. 
Well, I'm sure we can, and, and you are the expert. So, <laughs> so I want to start by asking you to remind us, you know, I know we talked about the symptoms of depression because just as a reminder to our audience, the conversation was around the fact that, you know, we all feel sadness sometimes when we're going through grief, through loss, you know, when you get a cancer diagnosis, there's going to be sadness in that. I mean, you're pretty hard not to, but there's that point when sadness crosses over into depression. And when that happens, it probably requires a different degree of help and support. So one of the things that you had talked about on our show last time, and I really would like you to remind us of this conversation because if you if you heard that show, you may have forgotten these details. And and I, I think that this is important to hear in case you haven't heard that other episode. Please go back and listen to it. But I think that to further this conversation, I think we need a reminder now of what that is. But... Let's revisit, if you don't mind, what those symptoms of depression are and how many you have to have to be considered depressed. And And there was just a whole conversation around that that was so profound. I, I just really would like you to repeat some of that part of it, if you don't mind. No, not at all. And I think it's, uh, if you can remember one takeaway, I think uh, you remember these symptoms and what uh, research-validated diagnosis criteria for major depressive disorder, which is really what we're talking about. It requires, in order to meet the diagnostic criteria, Becky, five symptoms for at least two weeks. And one symptom must be a depressed mood or loss of interest in usual activities. So you may feel loss of appetite, you may have a significant weight change, you may be waking up at night or have where you cannot get out of bed. Sometimes you have agitation or you just have a loss of energy that, and that's common with breast cancer patients as all cancers, you have fatigue. So feelings of worthlessness and excessive maybe guilt, sometimes you have where you just can't get your thoughts together. I know many cancer patients, including breast cancer patients, have what's called brain fog. But (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Some people think that's that's not even real, but I'm sure that's real because I think we've all experienced it. it. Yes, there's the latest research on that, and we won't go into that now, but that is truly um, exist, and it is a symptom, and many women can tell you that they, in fact, have had that. Um, You also have, you know, which can be related to brain fog or not. It could be the depression when you lose concentration. You can't really focus and you're indecisive about things that you used to be quite decisive about. Uh, Sometimes you have significant distress. and, And I like to say, I, as a family member or caregiver, if I had a loved one who was just not functioning at the same level as they previously functioned. And again, the criteria for at least five or more of these symptoms for at least two weeks. So if they continue to persist, again, persist, that's the key word, then you need to let your primary care physician or your oncologist know about that, and they can begin what's called the screening process and um, then try to tease out whether or not They are somatic symptoms, which sometimes um, when you have another condition like breast cancer, then you have uh, symptoms related to treatment or Mm -hmm. 
the change in your trajectory, you know, along the continuum of your journey, different symptoms at different times depending on how much treatment and then sometimes you have more than one treatment, which can, of course, cause fatigue, loss of energy, brain fog, etc. So it's important to make sure that the clinician, your provider, knows what it is that you've complained about in the past or have had challenges with so that they know when that crosses over and new symptoms are now needing to be addressed. Okay, so just to kind of recap just briefly, if you, you can have several symptoms of, of depression and you know, you went through the list pretty pretty quickly, but you can always, you know, back this up and play it again when you're listening to it. But um, at least at least one of those symptoms has to be a depressed mood or loss of interest in normal activities. If you had all the other symptoms but not those two, would that what would that be? Just sadness? Well, that would require, I would say, um, a reevaluation, um, maybe in a period of a couple weeks or okay. months. I would ask, um, and, and normally, um, you want to keep a diary or have someone that uh, loves you and is staying with you keep a diary and you know, oh, write down what's idea. been occurring and things you know, that can help the clinician decide. You know, it's kind of like your blood pressure. Oftentimes, uh, clinicians say now, well, let me know what it was over the next couple weeks. Take it in the morning, take it in the afternoon, and then you bring what I call many data points to make a more mm-hmm. informed decision. You know, we have to help our providers. Uh, they can't look at us and take a snapshot and say, okay, I know this is depression or I know this is related to fatigue because of the treatment. Now, that wouldn't be prudent. That would be treating something that you really don't have any basis for just from one-time visit. And there, in fact, lies sometimes the challenges with major depressive disorder and other uh, psychiatric conditions is that there are no diagnostic tests. There are what are called screening tools, and those are specific scales that questions will allow you to rate a particular symptom or maybe how you feel or what you're thinking. And then we can have it on paper and see where the score falls and Mm -hmm. know exactly that will be the best way to diagnose. So there's no alarming blood test or uh, a battery of diagnostics like an MRI and you have to go in for treatment of some kind to evaluate depression this is more of a self-report. You tell us, right? Well, that that's good. And writing it, <clears throat> excuse me, writing it down is. Um, I'm sorry. I I'm going to take a little quick drink of, of water here because I'm <clears throat> really having a, an issue. Hold on, it's that doggone cancer stuff. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's not. But um, writing it down is is really key because it's. You know, while it's happening, if you write down the just the date and the time and what's going on specifically, because when you go back to your doctor and you're feeling good that day or you're feeling, you're not feeling those things, it would be really hard to go back and try to to put it all back together and say, well, I remember feeling that way a little bit, but maybe it was more than you thought or maybe it was less than you than you remember. So, so do definitely write those things down. I, I can see you know, some really good value in that. So let, yes, let's move on. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and you can imagine that, you know, in the ideal world that we would screen for depression 
other than just asking a question, you know, do you feel like harming yourself? Because, you know, all providers are mm-hmm. asking that now in all kinds yeah. of uh, encounters with patients. But if we could have a baseline screening and then watch for changes, like maybe six months into um, the trajectory in the phases of, you know, the treatments of for breast cancer, then we could evaluate differences and see that you're you're holding firm and you're not deteriorating in some way Mm -hmm. uh, and then when you you think about it that's a whole lot like a mammogram I mean you you don't wait until you feel a lump to go in for your first mammogram you go in when the first time you qualify which hopefully they'll keep it at 40 I know there's some talk of moving it to a higher age but you know you go in at 40 you have your first baseline mammogram because they can look and see what your breast looks like when it's normal when it's healthy and then they, you go in a year later and, and do it again, and they check the new one against the old one, and they look for those subtle changes because that's when they can begin to identify maybe something going on in your body that is not what we want. So um, it's it's kind of kind of similar from what I'm what I'm hearing. So exactly. let, let me ask exactly. let me let me ask you about treatments um, such as surgery post-operative pain, how do, does that have an impact on depression and, and maybe keep you in that state longer? Tell, talk about that for a moment. Well, one can imagine that uh, when you have the different phases of cancer treatment, um, you know, there's going to involve many times, if not all the time, surgery. And just when you have a trauma to the body, which is a surgical procedure, even under controlled circumstances, then you are going to have what's called acute pain. And sometimes pain just is very, very, it requires energy, it requires um, um, you focus. Sometimes you can become hypervigilant with, you know, it's hurting more or is it hurting less? Did that medication work or not? And you can imagine that that affects the depression in many um, breast cancer patients. So post-operative pain after surgery and then just some of the debilitating treatments, I'm sure many of your audience can speak to just radiation or having, you know, the tumor reoccur or being given medications like, uh, let's say, a corticosteroid, you know, that's going to alter or mask some uh, symptoms, um, physical symptoms, Mm -hmm. but also those kinds of changes to your body, menopausal symptoms, and all of these can bring, um, come to a head. And of course, then you would know that it would affect depression. And just to remind everyone, 5 to 20% of women with breast cancer may experience major depressive disorder. 5 and, to 20%. Wow. Yes. And it is more, more, it occurs more in the breast cancer population than it the population at large. So it's not much more, but it is more than the lower range as well as the upper range. So I think that's important to keep in mind that this can occur. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you uh, vulnerable. It just means there is treatment and treatment works, and it will help you. This is what I, I really want your audience to understand. If you have treatment for a depression, Sometimes it can be temporary, and again, you know, again, if it's going to last two weeks or or four months, and you are just delaying treatment, you know, something's wrong. You know, you you don't want that to happen because you're going to not adhere to your medications. 
because if sometimes you have these symptoms of concentration, you can't focus, you're indecisive, so you may not remember to take medication that is critical to your uh, treatment plan. You mm. may not be compliant all the time. So depression affects compliance and adherence to your treatment that I know you so much want to follow. And um, that's what you need to understand, too, about the depression. It affects, again, the physical um, the physical uh, body as well as what's happening um, during this breast cancer trajectory. Excellent. Well, we're going to go out to break. And when we come back from break, I do have one other question along this line. And it's about the impact of um, extended chemotherapy, because I know it's not surgery. It's not, you know, generally creating pain. Um, it's not radiation, but but chemotherapy is, is kind of a huge picture. So we'll talk about that when we get back. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about when sadness becomes depression and what to do about it with our guest, Dr. Linda Denke. But before, I did have a question for her that I wanted to come back in on, but I've changed my mind (laughs) just very briefly. During the break, we were talking about the bucket list concept that I put out there um, as the show was starting. And, you know, it's. would you mind sharing with our audience what you shared with me? I don't mind at all, Becky. Uh I was very moved when Becky mentioned the bucket list. You know, of course, I saw the movie, and and I have one of my own. And I really could conjure up 
one one of the things on my bucket list that I'll share with your audience is that I, as from the time I was a child and throughout my whole adult life, I had said my bucket list, um, the number one thing I wanted to do was be able to take riding lessons, you know, and work with the horse and hopefully one day have a horse of my own. And, you know, as I began um, aging and, and here I am today and my career is what it is, I had never shared that with anyone. And as I listened to Becky, I thought, you've got, that's what I'm missing. I was missing that point. But as I began to work with disabled children about four years ago, I volunteered for uh, an agency here called Maingate, and it it works with um, the horse and the a child who maybe is has muscular dystrophy or some some congenital um, illness, and you participate so you're the support along the horse and the child's easy walk as they're riding in an arena. So I learned so many of the beginning how to care for the horse, what is the safety of making sure you know you keep the child safe, yourself safe and grooming and so on and and again I began at that time to start sharing it even with my family first and foremost but also with um people who I was now meeting and learning about these wonderful animals and here we are 4 years later I began to share more and more I got more and more involved I began taking lessons and then I met someone who said, you know, there's a horse you can lease, and maybe that's what you want to do. And my lessons leasing got more a horse. <laughs> what a great idea! Yeah, I love that. And so I said, wow, I didn't know that was an option. So as I shared and opened up and realized and began realizing my dream, you begin changing inside too, and yep. the people around you become as joyful as you are because you have this goal and and it's coming to fruition and you achieved it. And so at this point I do have a horse. Her name is Gucci and yes, that was her <laughs> name when I bought her. <laughs> I leased her for a year all last year when I, you know, we bonded and the owner one day said, "I think she's your horse and I think we need to make those decisions and now you know, have a have a sale and it, she's can be yours for, for good. Mm, and so we've sweet. been now competing as of February in the English riding dressage in the regional, um, what they call a circuit. And who would have thought? Exactly. Well, I'm so glad that you shared that and that you opened up to me in that manner um, during the break because... To me, the magic of the bucket list and to really have it, you know, have that impact is the telling of it to somebody because it's, and, it, and it's hard because this is why it has to be someone you trust. You don't want anyone to laugh at you or to sabotage your efforts. You want it to be somebody who can get behind it with you and say, what a great idea. This would be perfect for you and and just really um, do whatever they can to help. You know, my, my husband, like I said, he is quite the cheerleader when he, when it comes to things like this. He's just so, he wants people to to live that dream and whatever that is. So, so thank you. And I, and I mean that with my whole heart. Um, I, I, we're on here having a very serious conversation and <laughs> we took a little side path here, but I'm, I really mean it when I say thank you for your willingness to, to open that up to the audience and share that. But yeah, 
write your dreams down, what you want to do, and then tell somebody that you love and that loves you back. So so anyway, let's go back to our conversation so we don't run out of time again. Um, I wanted to ask you about chemotherapy because some people will be on chemotherapy, like they'll, you know, they'll do radiation for, you know, like maybe six weeks or something is kind of the standard, although they're that's changing too. But chemotherapy can go on for months, if not years. And there's certain kinds that are targeted therapies and all of that. Do all of those, any of those, play a role in, in depression and how severe it is or how long it lasts? Yes. Uh, thank you for asking that question, Becky. Uh, if, if you want to remember takeaway point number two, the longer periods of chemotherapy treatments are directly related to depression. So you, I mean, I can quote evidence that says the findings support that as you have chemotherapy, and it doesn't, it can be interrupted chemotherapy, but it can be the length of time. After your diagnosis, the longer the period for chemotherapy completion, it was positively correlated to this uh, major depression. And so, but what you have hope with is the fact that depression, as it decreases, when you have longer survival time. So the more time Mm -hmm. that goes on, the treatments may be contributing to depression, but as you move along and you become more hopeful, and with treatment especially, you know, if you get the depression treated, then as time goes on and you survive, um, the depression is known to decrease. And and when I say decrease, you know, it doesn't go away, but the symptoms decrease. So we're talking about symptoms, those five or more symptoms for two weeks. Yeah, um, that's what and we're you talking said, about. You said something very important in that statement um, there, and that is, you know, we do we do all these treatments, we do the chemo, we do the radiation, we we do those things because we want the cancer to go away, and it's not we're not just doing a little exercise just for the heck of it, you know. Um, so there should be hope in those things, and when you start to see a positive outcome, the tumors are shrinking, you know, whatever is whatever your set of circumstances are, when you start to see you know, the positive outcome of these treatments, I would think that with that hope, like you said, you know, having having hope in that um, would just kind of naturally decrease some of maybe the, the depressive symptoms that you're having. So, so it's, it, you know, you, you can't live with it sometimes it feels like, but it's hard to live without it too. So it's, you know, it's, it's good because we all, we all need hope. We all um, have you know, we we need to have as much hope as we can, and I am I am very happy with so many of the targeted therapies now, where they're not just destroying every fast dividing cell in your body with just flat out chemo, but they're actually able to to directly target some of the cancer cells specifically, which is a huge improvement since I first was diagnosed back in 1996, and I'm in my fifth battle right now. So you know, I've been I've kind of been through all of the different treatments I think that are kind of possible, but I see more hope now than I did back then, and it's it's kind of exciting. So let's um, talk about alternative treatments to um, for, for depression. What are some of the ways that we can um, get past this, and, and are there alternative, I mean, we all know about the drugs like Prozac and these other things, but what are some alternative treatments that we can well, uh, in use? in addition to the medication, again, mm-hmm. treatment works and medication is, is valuable and, and people people do come 
uh, back to themselves with the medication. But but you can support with individual or group um, uh, support groups. Um, psychotherapy, that would help um, reduce the symptoms because, you know, you're having conversation with like-minded uh, and people going through the same experience as you in a group like um, breast cancer support groups. And there's many, 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 even the types of cancers have their own groups. Um, and so that can lessen the symptoms and increase daily function and bring hope. You can also have um, a particular psychotherapy. It's well known to reduce symptoms is what's called cognitive behavioral therapy, and that just comes from the psychoanalyst um, who developed it because you replace what are they call the maladaptive thoughts, but also what you think, what you believe, and what you act on. So thoughts, beliefs, and behaviors with more adaptive ones or um, you replace it with better coping, better coping skills. Because remember, we talked last uh, time about lower levels of education and poor coping skills sometimes um, will have a greater impact on the symptoms of depression. So your symptoms may be worse if you have poor coping, okay? So mm-hmm. I think that's important to know that um, that in and of itself is a risk factor in addition to the lack of social support and uh, the even alcohol and substance use. You know, some, sometimes people cope in those fashions. But as you see, if you, if you put all those together, those are risk factors for mm-hmm. the symptoms to worsen, you know, and the negative sure. life event of the diagnosis too. Okay. Wow. Is, who knew that there was so much to learn about all of this? To, talk to us about lo- what is Lost and Found. I know you, you put a story in there, but I, I'm not familiar with it. Is it a magazine? Is it a book? What, what's, what is Lost and Found? Lost and Found is uh, my second book, Becky, and it is uh, the journey through my son's mental illness. Okay. And one of the um, reasons I came forward with this is the very reason I'm talking with you and your audience today is there has been in the past and continues to be stigma and bias. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's rampant in mental illness. And what I lived when my son was diagnosed in his six weeks before he graduated from law school um, with a bipolar disorder, instead of having a graduation day, we visited a psychiatric hospital. Mm. And I lived the biases, the prejudices, and the impenetrable barriers that really I noticed, even as a provider, it was so difficult to navigate the mental health care system, know what steps to take, what are the current treatments, and so on and so forth. And then here my son, after seven years of being compliant and non-compliant, which is very typical with a bipolar disorder due to the ups and downs. When you're feeling so good, you don't think you need treatment. And when you're so low, uh, you know, you start it up again. So after that, he um, went missing and uh, then became homeless. So those are some of the more serious ramifications of untreated mental illness, which is why I feel so strongly about being proactive because treatment works. And, you know, he's now practicing law. He that is, is a so great. Son. That, that, <laughs> you know, so, when you shared that story last time that we spoke, I was kind of sitting on, on the edge of my seat waiting to 
hear that part of the story that he that he's doing well now and you know and this is something he will deal with for the rest of his life it's not something that just kind of comes and goes i mean it's it's there you just but with treatment and what i'm hearing you say is with proper treatment you can have a normal life and but you have to be treated and there is like you said there is a stigma that comes along with that and i'm sure that was really difficult for both of you you know to deal with that and so how how did you how did you deal with it well there were many things that uh first of all just the reality i had to really get my arms around this is this is real this has happened mm-hmm. um i realized uh one thing that you cannot uh change alter or wish away genetics and if a family member like we talked about if there's a a history of psychiatric disorders which there happened to be in my um, husband's uh, family with his mother having bipolar disorder you know many many times that manifests then a generation or two later and so I had always lived being a nurse with some vigilance of, you know, um, almost a hypervigilance of, you know, looking for signs and symptoms like I just read to your audience, you know, are they, do these signs and symptoms exist? And, and so we, I thought we made it through a period of time when, you know, now he's 25, he's graduating and nothing's happened. Well, lo and behold, it doesn't necessarily follow the book format, right? Mm-hmm. And so many of the ways I decreased was, and I think this is so crucial, you have to get educated. So I just took it, jumped in and said, look, this is happening. I began talking about it just to a few close people because as I say in my book, you know, when I mentioned it, it was like I had the plague. You know, Mm -hmm. nobody wanted to get it. But you know what? In the early days of my career in oncology, we had patients that were not told they had breast cancer or not told they had a particular type of cancer because that we didn't want them to know. We were trying to be protective, and families didn't want their loved one to know. Imagine not God. knowing and, no. and the isolation. <laughs> I can't imagine. You, yeah. Yes, and you cannot take control of something. So I remembered that piece, and I remember that the best thing for me to do was acknowledge it, embrace it, and say, now, the glass is half full, and I've got to figure the rest out. And so mm-hmm. many, many people helped me. Um, you know, the providers, the support groups. There is um, a national organization of um, mental illness that is called NAMI, National Association of Mental Illness. And it, there are free um, educational sessions, family-to-family groups. There's even a sessions for the military and their families. So it's become um, a widespread national presence and um, it's all run by volunteers. And I got very involved in that. Not only did it help me, it it helped me survive because I realized it's a condition. It's a diagnosable condition. There is medication that treats it and there are many things as family members we could do to support the treatment and staying on treatment. And and so just like breast cancer, you you embrace it, you say, I'm gonna do this, you get support where you need it. When it gets a little rough, you know, you have 
either your therapist or your prayer. I have to say prayer helped me immensely, too. I come from a very faithful background. I was raised in a very Christian family, and honestly, that was my saving grace because when you're alone or you feel so isolated sometimes, you're not really because my faith and I knew God was there, that there was something I was learning and that I knew all would be well, even when my son was homeless, as difficult as it was as a mother. Um, we did have him home uh, sooner rather than later, and we had individuals that took him to a hospital. He walked six states uh, for over 2,000 miles. Um, what? Really? He have shoes on. Mm-hmm. And wow. I write about that in the book. Well, when we come back from break, because we have to go out right now, but when we come back, can you share just a little bit more of that of that story about your son and the yes. traveling six states, you said? That's, that's yes. awesome. <laughs> All right, well, stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute, and we'll talk about that. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states, giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about when sadness becomes depression and what to do about it with Dr. Linda Denke. And um, just before we went out, we were talking about your son and and the and the story in Lost and Found. And then you mentioned, and I guess this is in the book, so you don't have to give all the details. Of course, we want people to buy the book. But you mentioned he went, he walked six states, two thousand miles. 
Tell me more. <laughs> That's yes. fascinating. When, when somebody is in a manic state, Becky, and they're not being treated, and again, this is just with this particular depression, bipolar disorder, it's probably one of the most familiar because many times um, you see it on, on television or in the movies, you know, um, that people have these, you know, grandiose delusions and they think they're invincible. Well, he, uh, the only way we knew where he was when he was homeless is we get a call from an emergency room that someone had brought my son in. I would hear the same story, only it was a different emergency room in a different state. And so what I did, uh, because i inclined to write, and I am a writer, I've, I kept a journal. And so I have... In my book, I have the um, the state, and I have the emergency room, you know, visit, uh, and I have the cost of that, and you know, it was it was significant, where we had so many financial challenges because of the ineffective treatment, because he would stop medicine and start medicine because. As you become more grandiose and the mania returns after a period of time and the depression um, existed before that because it's cyclical, right? That's what bipolar, Mm -hmm. it's two poles, very high and very low. And so it's hard to predict and different um, uh, triggers bring it on like drinking, drugging, like stress, like um, homelessness, things like that. Um, will cause it to accelerate. And so walking for him was the agitation. As I said, psychomotor agitation, which is, you know, you're going to walk or move or be up and down from the chair uh, 15 times while your family's watching television, you know, outside to smoke, back in again. And and that is how it becomes manifest. So that's how I wrote the book is just from these, this journal and, and being a clinician, knowing what the clinicians were telling me at the other end of the phone, and by the time they'd go back to say, I've just talked to your family, he was gone. So he kept going against medical advice and leaving. So he'd come you know, in. I'm so glad I asked you to clarify this because I had a whole different, you know, it's so funny how we are. I had a whole different picture of what that meant, that I thought it was something he did that was positive and it was after his recovery and, uh, and he was celebrating. I didn't realize that this was part of his the mania that you were referring to. Yeah, so part of the illness. Wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, thank you for for clarifying that. I, I feel a little bit stupid right now because, I, oh. I mean, I'm celebrating that he did this. Yay. And you're, it's like, no, not yay. So that's definitely a sign that something's off as if somebody is doing something that's mania. I mean, it, you know, it's so, wow. It's accelerated. I'm learning. Yes, yeah, I'm learning so much right now. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's acceleration. And that's one of the symptoms, you know, agitation or, you know, the other is they won't get out of bed or they don't want to leave. Um, fatigue, loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness. And then sometimes it can result in just cur- recurrent thoughts of, you know, wanting to do yourself in or talking about, you know, suicide. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not an authority on that. I'm just saying that that's serious. And, you know, someone yeah. who, who has a plan and who talks about it, that needs immediate intervention. But yeah. 
you know, most of the population, we, we won't talk about that. We're talking about major depressive disorder as mm-hmm. a result of a breast cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. and with risk factors. Remember what they are. They're the fact mm-hmm. that you've just been diagnosed with a serious condition. You have a psychiatric history. Maybe you had depression in the past. Um, so you have... Uh, postmenopausal status is a risk factor. I said earlier, you are in financial um, straits. You might have low income or have uh, risk factors socioeconomically. Maybe you don't have support. Maybe you just went through a divorce. Sometimes uh, women with advanced disease, um, they just feel more fatigued and they have more of a physical burden. And advanced disease are all risk factors for major depression. So you can see how sometimes just when we're put in circumstances, even without breast cancer, then these contribute to a trigger for a depression. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. At any age. Makes perfect sense. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to actually ask you about two different phases of this question. So when you live with someone, a child, you know, family member, spouse, a parent, you know, whatever, um, you know, they're, if you see them getting close to the edge, now when they're ready to fall off the edge, the obvious answer is you call 911 um, because you don't want anyone to fall off the edge. And if and by falling off the edge, it could mean, you know, talking about suicide, as you mentioned, or, you know, doing something that could harm them themselves or others. You know, it, there comes a point where it becomes you know, urgent, and maybe the best answer is to call 911. But when you see them heading toward that, is there something that we can do in the meantime to sw- get them to switch direction and pull them back a little bit? Or do we just have to uh, wait till it's crisis? Well, sometimes yes and no. And okay. I say that my son is a good example of, you know, being a very intelligent young man, um, really coming from a very... Uh, well-rounded family with aspirations and goals, and and he just, you know, maybe had a few too many uh, fraternity parties that the alcohol mm. triggered, um, something that, you know, was already, he was predisposed to based on his genetics. Okay. So I think it's important to know that if you begin seeing a change in function, By function, I mean what somebody usually does day after day for the most part, and and they become more isolated, and they start showing some of these depressed mood and the loss of appetite, and a lot of the lists that we talked about, five or more symptoms for two weeks, what I... I have done and I recommend, and maybe it's because I'm a provider, but you just ask them and you say, this is what I'm seeing. Do you think there's something that we want to go and talk to your physician mm. about? And okay. it, that, remember the conversation again, like you said, Becky, if you don't tell somebody, like you didn't tell your husband about your bucket list, it happened. People want to help. And do. if you have a supported family, they will be encouraged to say, look, this is what I'm seeing, and I don't like it, and it scares me. So come right out and say what it is you mean. And and that's what we do as providers. And you know what's funny? 
it doesn't even have to be um, a cancer. It can be something like hypertension. And when you, when one clinician, like a friend of mine, said this week, you know, my blood pressure is up to you know really alarming rate, you know, one sixty over. And I said, you know what? I hope you have an appointment for your physician, like immediately. And you yeah. know, it kind of, it, it, it was like a curveball. I mean, she was mm-hmm. like, I was just going to tell you about it, but I guess you're right. <laughs> and so it, 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 it's, it's a sign of something caring. for sure. Yes, and so it can happen to even providers where we just want to deny the symptoms. Um, and, and a person who might be experiencing this or sometimes who have had a personal experience with someone with mental illness, which remember, one in four, one in four individuals have been affected by a mental illness, wow. whether it's a relative, whether it's uh, their child, their spouse, their partner, uh, or someone in their extended family, um, they have been affected by mental illness. And mm. so it's not like it happens periodically. It happens commonly. So we need to just be very vigilant and, and, and be mindful that yeah. if function changes and, and there's a depressed mood, those are something I would want to watch and I would bring to the attention. Sometimes okay. when you get so depressed, you don't even have the capability to see it in yourself. Mm, you that's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I believe that. Well, listen, we've only got a couple of minutes left, if you can believe this. So we've talked about one of your books, Lost and Found. Why don't you just take a minute and talk about Breakthrough? What is that book about? And then how can people order both of your books? Okay. Thank you uh, for asking, Becky. Um, Breakthrough was my first book. And as a mother and a, and a provider, I chronicled, again, what I had done for my son. And by that I mean I put together, this is an occurrence and this is how I solved the problem or, okay. or confronted the challenge. And mm-hmm. so my book, Breakthrough, is entitled you know, moving from your mental illness diagnosis to your high-functioning outcome. Because, again, my son did return to law. He did finish law school, and and we got the help we needed, but only through conversation and letting people know this is what we needed and this is what we were experiencing did we find uh, that treatment works and education is the lifesaver. So Mm -hmm. I wrote my son's mental illness from the standpoint of how did I navigate the mental health care system? How did I do it quickly and effectively? How did I find free resources? How How to communicate with a physician? You know, when you communicate with a physician, they like data. That's how they've been trained. That's how mm-hmm. nurses are trained. So when you bring in, this is the last week and what it looks like and look at how long, many hours I've slept, the physician knows a lot more than you say, well, I'm not sleeping very well. <laughs> Think about how that comes across, the difference, yeah. right? Well, let's see. Let's talk about why that might be. Yeah, there's, yeah, that can be mean different things to different people for sure. Yeah. Well, so listen, I, kiddo, I, we're, I, we're, gonna, we're out of time. I'm so sorry. I just, I, I've, I'm so glad I invited you back. I didn't dream that we'd kind of run out of time again, but we got the, we got the basic information in. Um, I'm sure that your books answer some of those questions like what, how do we get society to, the stigma that's associated with mental illness. I'm, I'm assuming that your books will cover that to some, to some yes. degree. Good. Yes. Well, let's and get I people go to buy your books. So. 
<laughs> so how I'm do they sorry? buy your book? How do they buy your book? Okay, they can uh, go to Amazon or any of the vendors, Barnes & Noble, etc., okay. Target, and so on. Okay. And okay. Um, you can go to my website. Um, it's www, all one word, lindadankywriter.com and learn about both books and how to okay. get them. And Excellent. just search my name on Amazon for a start and both books will come up. And Denki is D-E-N, as in Nancy, K-E. Yes, D-E-N-K-E. So, um, yeah. So do do check her out. This She's just full of so much great information. Um, and for those of you who are new to our, our podcast, you can listen to us on pretty much every major podcast platform out there. Share it with your friends. Let them let everyone else in your world know about our podcast so they can tune in and get just as smart as you are. Um, so with that, we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There's always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.